Welcome to Theology. This is the trilogy that I'm doing on disability. And I've done an introduction, I think, last week. And I said in that episode that it was the hardest for me to do because it was a bit personal. And I had to go through the emotions that I, ha that I had at that time and how it went for me. And I wanted to have this series about disability in general and one of the disabilities that I'm not aware of or I'm not so familiar with was chronic illness and so I went online and searched for people with disability in the Netherlands and then I found some people started following them and I asked a person if they have a recommendation that a person who lives near me so I can have them over and chat about our life, share our experiences over coffee, because coffee is my thing. And then you were introduced to me and coffee. Thank you. Uh, I'm Laura and I'm 30 years old. Wait, that's not right. <laughs> <laughs> it was my birthday yesterday, so I'm 31. <laughs> Yes. Okay. How, how would you describe yourself? I'm very kind and I always want to help people. But it's also very hard to do because I have multiple chronic illnesses. So that shapes my life a lot. It means that everything I do, mm -hmm. I take my chronic illnesses with me. Mm -hmm. So it... I forgot the word. <laughs> brain, f yeah, brain fog is also a thing. So it's all, <laughs> it's also like uh, forming my thoughts and such. It has a big influence on that as well. So it, it's just ingrained with my personality, I guess. I'm more than my chronic illnesses, but it did shape who I am. So I can't separate them from myself. When did you find out about your chronic illness and what what is your chronic illness? I have ALS Dunlos syndrome, which is a connective tissue disorder. And I have ME, which is a post viral illness. And I also have POTS, which means that my heart rate goes up a lot when I'm standing your body on your mental health how do they manifest in in, in physical ways for you uh, the eds is um it affects my joints a lot so my joints are very weak and i'm hypermobile because of it and it also means i can dislocate joints very easily like i can dislocate my ankle just by sitting on the couch uh, but it's also everything in your body has connective tissue as well. So it also affects my veins and my organs. It basically affects everything. Mm -hmm. And uh, that means like I don't look sick at all. Mm -hmm. But everything in my body is just broken. I'm more like an 80 year old than a 30 year old. And uh, ME mostly means that I'm super tired all the time. Like there's not even uh, right words to explain 
how tired I am. Like when people say I'm super tired and you go like, no, you're not tired. <laughs> I'm really, really tired <laughs> because your tiredness is it's all the time. It's constant. It's part of who you are shaped by your tiredness. It must be very tired. It is. And it's just like not normal tired. Like when I try to explain it to people, they just say like, oh, maybe you should go to bed early tonight and you'll feel better tomorrow. But that doesn't help at all. And it's so much worse than that. I sometimes describe it as uh, running a marathon while you have the flu. Yeah, I don't know. It, for me, it's it's very difficult to understand it because, yeah, whenever people tell me about their chronic illnesses, I really can't compute how life must be for them. And uh, because your physical physical disability, sort of, I don't know. Do you call it disability? Okay, is not visible, so you don't really find yourself getting that people with disabilities their rights yeah people treat me like a healthy young woman but i'm obviously not so that can be very hard i constantly have to explain myself and share all my medical information with everyone because otherwise i don't get any uh, accessibility or something at all yeah when you first get diagnosed by it could you tell us a little bit about that? Because I know uh, fi fi being diagnosed is the most difficult, especially for women, not being believed and, you know, the whole misogyny thing. Uh, so my diagnosis took a really long time. Mm -hmm. I started having, well, I had symptoms my whole life, but it started uh, disabling me at the age of 10 already. I was struggling to get through school. And stuff like that. But I wasn't diagnosed until I was 27. So it took me 17 years of going to the doctor's office and explain everything. And they kept saying it was psychological. Or even uh, I have hypochondria in my files. So it just means like they felt I was making things. When people don't believe you, it's just weird for me because it's their job to listen to you and try to find what's wrong with you and think outside the box so then they can yeah help because that's what they're paid for and that's what they went to school for and yet we find this like again and again people not getting the right diagnosis um can you tell me what what that means for you like not getting the right diagnosis uh we can say yeah it's horrible but what does that mean for you? Like, how did it, it affect your life? It had a really big influence on me because uh, I didn't have a diagnosis, so I couldn't get any help. And even my family and friends thought I was exaggerating because the doctor said I was fine. Mm -hmm. And if the whole world is telling you that you are exaggerating, then you start to believe that yourself. So you just start to uh, go over your boundaries a lot, which made me a lot sicker in the end. Not getting the help that is needed, but also it affects your mental health. And how did your how did you cope with it? 
I did have a lot of depressions as well because I I didn't have any self-esteem at all because I thought I was failing at everything and that I should just try harder and that I wasn't worth anything because I didn't succeed in anything. It makes me sad. Yeah. Because feeling like that, when you just say it after you went through it and now you are in a different place than that, I, 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 I see the difficulties in it when you are young, when you don't understand why the world is the world it, it is, the way it is, and no one is explaining to you. Yeah, and everyone is just denying you and your existence, and it becomes so minimal. And we say, oh yeah, I felt like nothing, and I felt empty, and I felt alone. But those feelings are, they're so deep when they're inside you. It's, it's I, I, yeah. It, it, other people who don't go through it don't actually understand it. It's like the way I say, I don't understand this when you say I'm tired all the time. I don't get it. And I think the world is supposed to be built on empathy but people don't actually do that thing without having to identify themselves with yeah people only show empathy if they can imagine how it is and this is something they can't imagine i did get out of it but it was after my diagnosis because then i had some words to actually google things and such and that is how I found a lot of other people who went through the same. And that way I made a lot of friends. And it was also when I got my diagnosis, I felt like, oh, so it's not me. It's just the entire world that was wrong. And that gave me a really confidence boost. Yeah, like an affirmation, sort of. I have a brother who is also chronically ill. And I have a good contact with him now because he understands how tired I am and the problems I have. Like he has a different disease, but it's similar in a lot of ways as well. But the rest of my family wasn't understanding. Because they have that experience with your older brother, uh, maybe you got that support that you needed. Like sometimes it matters when you're family believes you yeah it's a bit strange because like my brother has a genetic disease and well my uh, the Ehlers Danlos syndrome is genetic as well but they haven't found the genes yet and I kind of feel like it's taken less seriously because of that it's more subjective and because my family thought I was exaggerating my entire life Mm -hmm they couldn't let that go. So even after my diagnosis, they still thought I was whining too much. It's a, it's indeed like a sad story to tell and also to hear sometimes, but it's sometimes it's the reality. Yeah, I hope that when people listen to this, that they think like, oh, I should really listen to other people and take them seriously. So then they can just believe because you can't really, I mean, it's very rarely that people are uh, faking things. I didn't gain anything from it, so yeah. why would you fake it? 
how was like going to school and everything for you? Like, how did you deal? You did uh, child psychology? I mostly, I was very lucky because I'm very smart. So the study was super easy for me. So I just, like, before I had exams, I would just uh, scroll through the PowerPoint presentations <laughs> that the teachers had. And I don't know, I didn't even read my books or anything. I would just go on the PowerPoints and that's it. And then guess when I had exams and then I passed. <laughs> I think maybe I did the same. I, I, I think I'm a bit smart, but I wasn't super into school. I don't know. And maybe I shouldn't justify my laziness. I was just lazy. But, you know, like it's sometimes it's hard when you have um, physical disability or mental uh, disability or illnesses or whatever. It really affects your functionality in the world. My illnesses are so much worse now. And it just takes too much energy. And my memory is awful too. So I can't remember much of my study at all. I'm very proud of you though like I'm glad you did that I am getting a wheelchair and I really need that as well I might be bed bound in the future but maybe not it's really unsure how do you deal with the thought of the future I try to not think about it too much I try to take everything day by day and then I can see what I can do now because I have no way to know how I will be in the future. Uh, is there a possibility of uh, people doing researches? Uh, is there anything being done about it? Uh, about the Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, not. But I think there are some good research about ME now. Um, it was very underfunded for a long time. But because the long COVID is very similar to it, yeah. it is. And it might actually be the same. Oh. So there is a lot of funding going into it now and a lot of good research. It's the one good thing this pandemic brought. How did you deal with the pandemic? It was scary because in the beginning of the pandemic, I was still working. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't protected at all even though I am high risk, because uh, I don't think I have a bigger chance of dying, but um, because my illnesses are progressive, if I get COVID, I might actually be bad bound, and I don't want that. Mm -hmm. So I tried not to get COVID, but it's very hard if you are not protected at all. When you say protected, uh, by who? Well, there weren't enough measures we just let everything go as long as there was space in the hospital like i don't understand why you want to be in the hospital but and uh i still had to see a lot of people because of my work so when everyone else was in lockdown i still had to go out and see people and did you stop working and uh, you just stay at Eventually, I did stop working, but it was because working was getting impossible with my health. And then I stayed home. The only thing I went out for was uh, my physiotherapy and sometimes a medical appointment. And that's it. 
Uh, was it different for you because you were working uh, prior to COVID? You were going out, and now suddenly you have to stay at home all the time? No, it actually feels a bit safer now that I can stay home if I want to. Mm -hmm. But it is also very hard if you can see other people just going to places and do fun things and you're just at home alone. I I don't know if I was scared, but I was just like thinking like I don't want to die without like being near my family. But at the same time, I knew it wasn't that hard for me because I was already staying at home for a, a long time. And there wasn't much of a thing that I would miss if the world got shut down sort of but then like a year went by and two years went by and now i think i'm just losing it not that there's like something special that's happening outside my world that i must have or need i just want you to talk about your activism and what it like how do you approach activism and what is activism for you yeah well it, for me with the lockdowns and such there didn't change much mm -hmm. but it's the mentality behind it that is really hurtful because like for two years now there are like articles in the newspaper like it's okay if the vulnerable people die or get sick that's just the way it is because they are vulnerable and uh, me and my friends are uh, doing activism like our lives matter too and we are worth protecting and there are so many of us and the everyone is just acting like we don't exist and we don't matter uh, can you tell me about it it's Kane Doorhout Kane Doorhout <laughs> yeah no it means like we are not that rude mm -hmm. because there was uh, journalists as he was saying all the time, like, yeah, COVID is only cutting out the dead wood. And that's okay. We only <laughs> need the healthy people. Yeah. Yeah. So we responded back to that. Like, we are not dead wood. We matter as well. well did he say it on national radio? <laughs> it's everywhere. <laughs> he just said it out loud. Like, we just need the strong one. Does he have a definition of what the strong one is? Is it? muscular men is it brain is it money what is that what does that mean i don't know oh he, he <laughs> nobody asked him why he meant by it no and is he an important person does he matter is he influential in the dutch or whatever uh, i don't know but there are like a lot of people saying it like so many different journalists and also politicians that say it and there are a lot of people saying it and i think that's the reason why we have so little measures as well mm -hmm. and the fact that everything is open i don't know like i if i want to talk about uh covid i just want to talk about it from uh from your experience and from my experience because everyone i think has a, a right to e express their them how they feel the fact that he says like you guys are a bunch of dead woods that's how he sees it and i think it's fine because i don't think i'm the dead wood in this scenario because i'm strong as a horse but viruses don't know who's strong and who's weak he can be affected by it and protecting yeah. 
protecting people in, ter- in, ter- in times of pandemic, you cannot choose and pick because we're all in the same boat, one more than another. But at the same time, I think spreading like this uh, hatefulness or like not nonchalantly like saying, yeah, let them die. I think it's wrong and I think it's just rude also. Because yeah. how does he define people who don't matter? Like who is who are they to tell you and me we don't matter? I th- it's just a, what a rubbish thing to say. Why do you feel like you're the deadwood though? Because I know that I'm at a higher risk. Because like it can really make me bad bound and really ill. Mm-hmm. Because my health isn't as great. So I have less reserve to take a hit. Mm-hmm. Are you happy with the way the government handled the COVID situation? No, not at all. Uh, can you tell me like how they did handle it and what you don't like about it? Uh, the government kept saying they were protecting the vulnerable people, but they really don't. Everything we did out of protection, we did ourselves. Mm-hmm. And there were a lot of people, uh, it, people. It was very hard for people to protect themselves because like, they even have children that had to go to school and they weren't allowed to keep the children at home because child services would be called because of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that made it very hard. <laughs> and it also was very hard for me because one of my illnesses is so familiar to uh, long COVID. And no one was talking about long COVID at all. But... I got it when I was pretty healthy as well. You got COVID? Uh, no, not COVID, but I got uh, ME. Mm-hmm. I got it from the Epstein-Barr virus. Okay. And I got that when I was still doing okay. I had no idea I would have been high risk for that as well. So I think a lot of people are now getting this virus and I know how devastating it can be Mm -hmm. because I live with it every day (gasps) and just seeing people like oh yeah that's not uh, gonna happen to me I'm like you don't know that yeah so a lot of people are put in danger because of that and I'm like the high risk group doesn't even ask for much like people think we want to uh keep the country in lockdown forever but that's not true we just like maybe you can wear a mask so we can safely go to the shop as well like we don't even want to go to busy places or anything but we still need to do a grocery shopping yeah and i would like to be able to do that safely if they weigh it they go "Mm, okay money because it's all about economy talk yeah, it's all about the economy. But mm. like, masks don't really affect the economy. But there has been so much talk about the deadwood. And that the high-risk groups don't even matter. So people don't want to put an effort into that. And also, people don't know about uh, the long-term effects of COVID. So they just don't care anymore. So I don't think anyone wants to help. You would like it if people wore masks 
Do you think that would help? I think that would help, yes. Uh, okay, because they told us it helps at first, so we were wearing them. I don't know the often on the mask. I mean, it's easy to wear a mask. Eh? Like in yeah. most part of Asia, it, people just wear it because of the air pollution and so. And it's more to protect yourself than others, actually. Yeah. And I think sometimes it's if people, I mean, people can approach like masks as a fashion statement. People like trends, so they can do it like a fashion. If manufacturers came up with like, fancy masks everyone would wear them how you approach your advocacy when it comes to this matter and i i don't know are you taking it very seriously you want the government to do something about it do you have hope they would do something about it is there anybody talking to them or is just a, a twitter thing where you guys just hashtagging it and nobody cares we mostly just do it on twitter and nobody cares but that's mm. also we are not able to go to the hague to like protest in real life because we are still in isolation most of us yeah and we are also very tired because we are all chronically ill yeah so it's really hard to get some attention because Would, of that how about petitions we tried and like not a lot of people are signing it and who are we me and my friends, mm. we are with a small group. Mm. Uh, we have uh, an action group of like 15 people or something. Mm. But And uh, we do have kind of a lot of followers, mm -hmm. but not enough to get something really done. I don't know. I was just thinking maybe uh, it's better to get it, my magazines and TV and... Because at the end of the day, like the big media, the old media could affect people and you can reach people through yeah. that. Because on Twitter, you just have like this random guy saying like, oh, I don't care. Oh, da, da. So it's just like a back and forth with somebody. You just, it's just a somebody who's not nobody really. But if you do manage to sit on TV and have a conversation with uh, I don't know, people like that yeah. Uh, M show. Yeah. Yeah. But that's a problem too because we have tried a lot actually and newspapers and other media are just ignoring us. Like sometimes when we go viral, we get a few interviews mm. and that's it. Well, the people that are openly talking about eugenics and such are getting newspaper time and media time like every week uh, because that's uh, an emotionally prickish subject it's fancy yeah. eugenic wear yeah. a mask not so much like why would you guys choose that word <laughs> to be honest <laughs> it was a friend they felt of it um, just because it sounded catchy mm -hmm. And it has been said so many times and they were like, no, we are not that good. And it sounded catchy and they just tweeted it and it went viral. And uh, it was actually funny because first we were just trying to make it viral one day. Mm -hmm. And then uh, a politician talked about it in the government. Mm. And she was talking about like the action group 
uh, geen doorhoudt. En we were like, that's a good idea. And that's what we're going to do. <laughs> we're going to start an action group. I, I hope it succeeds. I, I, I don't know if you guys have like a clear uh, vision for it. Wear a mask and then? Wear a mask and socially distance. And what's also a problem is like a lot of people say like, yeah, if you want to wear a mask, you can still do it. But there's a lot of violence against people who wear a mask too. So we want that to stop. When the corona started, people were like uh, debating if wearing a mask was appropriate because a while back they were banning uh, hijabs. Yeah. And so they were like, oh. Our anti-Muslim shit is not helping at this moment. Yeah, that too. But also, uh, a lot of people are so uh, anti-masks. And they think the whole COVID thing is just a tiny flu. And people shouldn't worry about it. And Mm. they start actually attacking people and spreading pitting on people because they wear a mask because they don't like to see the reminder of a pandemic are these people are they right wing left wing uh, do you know who they are and why they are doing it i think it's mostly right wing mm. but we have a lot of right wing people in this country so it could be really anyone technically i everyone is a, a the high risk, risk group. group yes every everyone is that yeah, uh, I when I had my COVID, I, I I didn't wish it on my enemy. I don't <laughs> wish anything on my enemies, but it wasn't fun, and it was not really just a flu. It it really really made me tired all the time, and the, the constant thinking of like, oh, I feel fine, but maybe I could just die, because uh, what is if they're telling us like you need a lot of muscle then i'm fat and if you need a a body that is healthy then i'm sometimes a vegetarian i'm a vegan i'm this and that so it's all um scary and like it fucks you up with like mentally as well so you don't know and i don't think covid is a joke at all and people should take it seriously and I do understand the other side as well. Like, I don't want to stay indoors, create like a new viruses would come. And then are we going all going to go back? I don't understand how the government uh, actually handled the COVID thing. Because they were like, go in, go out, open, schools open, this and that. And their lack yeah. of consistency was very difficult for me. It and didn't make any sense at no. all. <laughs> Which was also one of the reasons I think that people didn't want to do anything anymore because they didn't understand what they were doing it for and the rules didn't make any sense so it it just sounded fake as well. No, I, I took it seriously and I knew because it, it's been around like there was SARS first and there's the Spanish flu and I've seen disease as well and I had like this sort of I don't know if I can call it obsession but I I saw when I was like younger I saw my family members die of AIDS and at that time most people also were saying there is no AIDS and I literally saw a cousin of mine or I don't know what he is but he died in our house and the death was horrible and every time I, I I I hear people say, oh, it's not that this and it's not this and that. And I'm like, but you have to understand the concept of virus. And if you don't just shut up about it. And like, I think the problem was 
with people is like when they know little that's a problem because they don't know much and just because you went to a science school and you're Javier school or whatever it doesn't make you like an expert on viruses and you yeah. can't tell me like you can't wear a mask or anything I think that's rubbish and I think you should change the name I don't think anybody should refer themselves as Deadwood why <laughs> <laughs> you can challenge me about that I mean it's I, it, I, I like that's how the world sees us right yeah what a rubbish thing to say to myself i hate it when people say i'm reclaiming words and say like oh call me a bitch because i'm i'm reclaiming it okay what do you think about that am i saying rubbish things i think it could be right but it's also we started using it in the first place and now people know us by that name so it's hard to change and it's also kind of catchy so no but i mean like i understand the movement and the catchiness of it that's activism right you do those things to uh, evoke feeling and emotion so you do use whatever so i understand it i just mean like i hope you don't feel like you're a deadwood because you're not not at all no (laughs) (laughs) because i mean deadwood is horrible like when you walk around it's it doesn't have life it doesn't look good it's a dead thing and I don't think you are that just because the ableist world is putting that name on you and he's saying you're, you're, you don't matter. But when he says you don't matter, I don't think of myself as I don't matter because why, why should he matter just because yeah. he's a skinny little person. Exactly. <laughs> now, um... What does the future hold for Laura? That's a very good question. I am not really sure because it's hard to see where my illnesses are going. But I am finally getting some healthcare and some help. So I hope I can improve a little bit for a few years at least. And what happens next, I will see. Wonderful. And I wish you all the best. And I just wish you like you have a joyful life and fulfilling life. And I want you to know that like you do really matter. And uh, yeah, I hope you find a a good name that fits you so I can start calling you that. Because now I'm saying Laura and Laura and Laura and Laura. (laughs) Maya, shout out to Laura's. Thank you very much for your time and for your openness. And I hope to see you soon. Let's go have coffee. (laughs)